I'm so glad to be with you this morning. It's an honor and a privilege to be here, that your pastor would allow me to come and break open the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we're going to uh, dive right in. Hopefully you got your, uh, your notes, and I want to encourage you and just kind of follow up. If you haven't been on a mission trip, I would encourage you to consider going on a mission trip I promise it will change your life. This morning we're talking about the golden calf, idols. Idols. Idols that we have in our lives. All of us wrestle and fight with idols. Sometimes they're not made out of gold and they're not made of cows. But uh, we all wrestle with idols, I'm sure. Exodus chapter 32, beginning with verse 1, I want to read it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So, you have the gods, you have the Lord. So, Yahweh and their gods. So, this is basically, hey, we're just going to bring them all in. We're going to worship all of it. Okay? Let me keep reading. And they rose up early the next day and burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What does that mean? Look at, right in your Bible, right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because basically they were getting drunk and having orgies. All right, and verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They were attributing something that God had done to these idols. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. So Moses intercedes the first time. 
for his people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you, bo- you swore to your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, why did this people do you, why did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. He got real chicken here, real cowardice. For they said to us, they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. Verse 24. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose, to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the camp, the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus said the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of the Lord. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one at the cost of his son and of his brother. So that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, please, if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. None, nevertheless, in the, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. 
the one that Aaron made. Let's pray. Precious Father, in these 35 verses, you are holy. You are awesome. And you don't share your glory with anyone. And Lord God, we come before you now as broken idolaters, Lord. And we ask, Lord God, that in this next few moments, you would reveal to us what idols we have in our life. What are we worshiping that is not you? Or what are we mixing in our worship towards you? Lord God, I just come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and I pray that you would give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are open. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord God, that it's quick and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it divides between the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow. Lord God, I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, as I was reading this and I was studying this, Lord God, I have idols in my life, and I confess those to you, Lord God. Please forgive me, Lord. I want you to be the only one that I worship. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been at a feast? I'm talking like not just a Thanksgiving feast, but you've just been at a place where it is a buffet and everything there is delicious. I remember when I was about 12 years old, my parents took me to this buffet. Fresh squeezed orange juice, crab legs. It was this incredible feast that I had. I mean, it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever tasted. It was incredible. And I remember being 12 and my dad goes, have at it. See, I have three brothers. I have an older brother and two younger twin brothers. And this was one of the times that my dad just basically goes, have at it, boys. And we consumed gluttonously of this feast. It was this buffet and we ate and ate. I don't know if you've ever done that before. But I've only done it once in my life and I still remember it. And when I was, I mean, I just kept eating, not because I was needed, because I was hungry. It was because it tasted so good. And I kept eating and eating and eating. And when we were done, I'll never forget, we're leaving the restaurant. And I go, I don't feel so good. And my mom was like, it's okay, honey. We'll, we'll, we'll just make it home. It's okay. And I go over to the side, and I'm not lying. I threw up everything I had just eaten, like in the bushes. And there's people that are walking into this restaurant, and here's this 12-year-old kid going, and it's going everywhere, and the smell, and people are just going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Walking in around this. Because I had feasted. I mean, I had feasted. But here's the deal. I had feasted so much on the things that I thought were going to satisfy, but in the end, it it just left me sick. 
we have idols in our country. Now, they're not made of gold, but I think sometimes we feast on them. And in the end, they're going to leave us sick. In fact, sin, if you look at the text here, sin leaves you less. It leaves you broke. It leaves you cowardice. And it leaves you a liar. Sin always multiplies. Look at Aaron here, right? And the children of Israel. He, what, it, what happened? God said, hey, I'm going to free you and I'm going to release you and you're going to plunder the Egyptians. Right? They walk out with all that gold, right? What does their calf demand of them? Their gold. It takes from them. What does their calf demand of Aaron? He lies. Hey, all of a sudden, we just threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf. His character. What else happened? Sin was demanding. His idols, these idols were demanding more and more and more. To the point where in the end, it left them all empty. Now, Moses is an incredible leader here because God wants to destroy him and basically go, I'm going to rebuild Israel through you, Moses. Moses says, no, 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 no. Please don't. He intercedes for the people of Israel twice. Now, do you know how long it was from the time they left Egypt to Exodus chapter 32? It had been about 40 days since they had seen Moses. And interacted with them. If you're taking notes, let's, let's, let's go through this together as we talk about the golden calf. And here's what I want to kind of address today. Are you feasting on your idols or are you feasting on Christ? In the end, your idols are going to leave you empty. In the end, your idols are going to leave you wanting. In the end, your idols are going to take everything from you. And here's the thing. Your idols might not necessarily be a bad thing. I know that I've talked with moms that have worshipped their kids and made their children their idols. I know I've talked to men that have come in and they've made pornography their idol or their job their idol. And some would say, well, that's sin, but the other one's not. See, we can worship a lot of different things. And sometimes what we do, just like the children of Israel, just like Aaron did, not only did he have his idol, but he said, hey, we're going to worship God and our idol, and they can both coexist. And the reality is that they can't. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He doesn't share his stuff with anyone. So if you're taking notes, there's three things that I really want you to see in regards to this. The first one is this, the violation of the worship of God. How do you define worship? See, in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. There's this woman, and she comes out during the day, and he's, Jesus is there, 
And basically, Jesus asks her for a drink, and then he has this long conversation, and she talks about worship. And the whole thing was, Jesus looks and says, hey, they that worship God, worship him in spirit and in truth. How do you worship? How do you define worship? Is it based upon spirit and in truth? When we talk about connecting with God in corporate worship, there's two parts of corporate worship that we have, spirit and in truth. And what are, what are, you, what are you talking about? You're like, yes, we've thought about this. So when we connect with God in corporate worship on Sunday morning, we come together as a group to worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit is the fact that we're singing praise songs to God. We worship God in spirit through singing. We worship God through spirit in spirit through prayer. When we come together in prayer, Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that the Spirit of God makes utterances and groanings through us that are too great for words. So there's the sense of we worship God in spirit through singing spiritual songs and hymns is what it says in Ephesians. Prayer and then the truth part. Well, how do we worship God through truth? Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. So when we partake of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, we do the singing with the teaching of the word of God. We also do the giving. We call that part of the truth as well. Because guess what? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So when we pass the offering plates, that's part of our worship. We pass the offering plates, not because we, oh, give us money, give us money. No. The Bible says that this is an act of worship. It's a spiritual act of worship for us to worship God. And so for people that attend, when the plate passes, you're dropping, you're worshiping, you're making a sacrifice. Here you go, God. I'm worshiping you in truth because this is where my heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. But here in Exodus chapter 32, you see that when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down to the mountain, the people gathered together and said to themselves, We feel lost, we feel alone. We feel like God has abandoned us. We feel like God is silent. Have you ever been there personally? Have you ever been at the point where you've been praying and praying and praying and asked God to do something and God's been silent? And so what the people were doing was they were saying, okay, there's God and now we're going to need something else to get us through this silent time. We feel alone and isolated. So we're going to need a little bit of something else. Because God's not enough. Oh, we want him to be enough. But the reality is he's not enough. And so therefore what happens is these idols start to creep into our lives. Just like they creeped into the children of Israel lives. Okay, wait, there's silence. God's not coming. We don't have our leader anymore. 
okay, let's make a calf. They took their gold and they they, they fashioned it. It says they took a graving tool and made a golden calf. This was a violation of the worship. How they defined worship was, yes, we worship God, but now we're also including this golden calf because our God is not enough. I remember years ago when I was, when I was planting a church in, and there was so many hardships and so many difficulties. And I remember one night before the Lord, I got before the Lord and I said, God, you are not enough. I want you to be enough. I want you to be enough, but you're not enough. Because nothing's happening. And I feel like I'm praying to the wall. And maybe you're there now or maybe you've been there. And here's the thing that the Lord kind of taught me during that time. If I'm not enough when you don't have what you want, then I'll never be enough when you do. And so during that time, God said, just feast on me, feast on Christ, feast on Christ, feast on Christ. Feast on my word. Worship me. Worship me when you have nothing. Then you'll worship me when you have everything. Worship me. Worship me in spirit and in truth. I love watching teenagers worship because there's something about kids, teenagers that fully get it. It's just before they like become too cool for it. And then we stay that way for the rest of our lives as adults. But you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been to one of these worship conferences with these teenagers? Man, they're raising their hands and they're singing at the top of their lungs. They don't even sound good. And you look and you say, wow, they get it. They worship God in spirit and in truth. They're all in. God, I am all in. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. The Bible says, and this is in this is 1 Samuel, okay, so David, he moves the Ark of the Covenant to Israel, okay? And the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. And he moves it to Israel. And the Bible says that David got in his linen ephod and danced before the Lord with all his might. You know what a linen ephod was? It was his underwear, I know. And here's the king of Israel dancing before the Lord with all his might in his underwear. He didn't care. I'm not dancing for you. I'm dancing for God. Now, it it came all the way down to your knees before anybody decides to take off their clothes and start dancing. Please don't do that. Okay, if you're in your tidy whities please, I don't even want to know. Amen. But he danced before the Lord with all his might. See, when we violate, it's, here's the, here's the understand. The violation of the worship is how do you define worship? Are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth? Because they were alone, they felt isolated, so they created this thing and they were going to mix God and how you worship is just as, and who you worship is just as important. Who are you worshiping? 
Are you worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, him and him alone? And I don't care. There's a lot of people that say, well, I'm very sincere in my worship. But here's the deal. How you do it is just as important. Are you worshiping him in holiness? Are you worshiping him in the beauty of Christ? Are you worshiping him and him alone? See, there was a violation of worship here. And they redefined worship. Secondly, there was a volatile interruption of true worshipers. See, there were these, they, they were worshiping God up until this point, And then all of a sudden, this interruption takes place because they didn't feel like God was answering them in the way that they wanted. God was feeling distant. Moses was away. So they wanted to interrupt it. What or who are you worshiping? Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses. It's kind of his final speech to the Israelites before they get into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we're going through the Pentateuch, we'll get to this one day. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Moses says this to the people in his kind of farewell address. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is... In, your God in your midst is a jealous God. Least the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. It's not about our sincerity. It's about the object of our worship. Are we being faithful to our worship? To God. Oh, I'm sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. There's a lot of people that are sincerely wrong. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a way to worship. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. If you're not worshiping God according to the word of God, God's not going to be pleased with that. Go back to David and moving the Ark of the Covenant. When David moved the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, before he did that, he decided to move it on a cart, and that was a violation of the way God had told him to move it. See, the Levites were supposed to put poles through it, and they were all supposed to pick it up, and they were supposed to carry it. But David decided he was going to do it his own way, and he was going to worship God in his own right. And he took the Ark of the Covenant, and they stuck it in this, ark, in this cart. That's the way the Philistines moved their gods. And they were, David was going to move the Ark of the Covenant the same way. And in fact, as he's moving it, the oxen stumble, the Ark's about to fall off, and this guy shoves the Ark, touches the Ark of God. The Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against him, and all of a sudden, this guy's struck dead. 
Now, moving the presence of God into Jerusalem is a good thing, yes. And there was lots of worshipers around it, yes. But he was doing it in the wrong way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. They that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? What way are we worshiping? Big interruption. So God's going to smote the Israelites. Moses, just like Christ, steps in and basically says, don't do it, Lord, please. In verse 14, the Bible says that the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. People go, did God change his mind? No, God doesn't change his mind in the way that you and I would change our mind. No, God was waiting to see the repentance. And all, the, all but 3,000 people, people go, well, man, there were 3,000 people killed that day. What happened? I would, I would dare say that these 3,000 men that the Levites killed were the ones that were unrepentant and weren't going to give up their God. Because God never gets tired of his people crying for help. God never gets tired of us calling before the Lord. If you don't believe me, read the entire book of Judges. Finally, is this, the victorious redemption and atonement. Has what you worshipped changed you from the inside out? See, the calf or the idol that they were worshipping did nothing for them. It was all this external action. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body, speaking of Christ, on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The apostle Peter is basically saying, Christ bore our sins on his body that we would be dead to sin and live in righteousness. That means there's transformation through Christ that comes from the inside out. That's for us, Christian. Our idols leave us broke, cowardice, and running. Look at verse 20 of Exodus chapter 32. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water. And he made the people of Israel drink it. Do you think it did anything for them? Absolutely not. We were talking about this in one of the middle schoolers. He said, do you think they went through the poop to get that gold back? I said, I have no idea. You can ask God when you get to heaven. But he made him drink it. He made him consume it. 
because their God did nothing for them. That calf did nothing for them. Maybe gave them a tummy ache or something. No, go ahead, consume your idol. Feast on your idol. See what your idol does for you. When we partake of communion, and we're going to partake of communion today, because here's the deal. God wants us to feast on Christ. The Christ is all in all. That when we feast on Christ, this, this symbol of Christ in us, that he transforms us from the inside out. That it's Christ who saved us. It's Christ who changes us. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Now if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ in them, they don't belong to Him. Because the Spirit of Christ is in us. If you're here today and you have an idol that is more important than Christ, then ask yourself, is Christ in me? This morning, we have to ask God, we have to say, listen, there is victorious redemption and atonement. When we understand that Christ is the one who intercedes on our behalf, just as Moses interceded on the behalf of the people. Just as he went before the Lord and said, there's, there's a great sin, Lord, but don't blot them out of your book. Forgive them. And we have forgiveness through Christ. Now remember, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Christ spilled his blood on the cross. That's why we partake of communion. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood spilled for you. So often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do it until I come again. Some of us are waiting for Christ to return or to answer our prayer. And during that time, we've accumulated idols. And it's time for us when we partake of communion today to say, Lord God, take these idols Destroy them in my life, Lord God, and I want you and you alone to be everything for me. You might be worshiping a false god, or you might be worshiping God falsely. Either way, we have to repent and we have to say, Jesus, you've got to be enough for me. What are you worshiping and is it satisfying you? Are you feasting on Christ this morning? There's so many things more that I want to do, but I want to get to the good stuff. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if Jesus Christ has never come into your life, this can be your first communion. Where you say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you bodily rose from the dead. And by faith, I receive you into my life. Save me. Change me from the inside out. And you know what the Bible says? That he will. He will come into your life and you will never be the same. But you got to give up your idol. You got to give up your sin. You got to ask God to forgive you of your sins to give up those idols. It's fascinating that I'm speaking on Super Bowl Sunday. There's a lot of people that have a lot of sports idols. There's a lot of people 
Listen, all of those things, you confess your sins and be done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward because we're going to hand out the communion. And I want to partake of this. And, and here's, here's what the, the Bible says. The Bible says, don't eat and drink communion if you are not in a right relationship with God or if you're not saved. Now, you need to be saved or in a right relationship with God. If you don't want to repent of your sins, guess what? Please let it pass before you because the Bible says you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. And I really don't want you to eat and drink judgment on yourself. But this morning, let's confess our sins. Let's give up our idols. And let's remember what Christ did on the cross and how he died on the cross for our sins, bodily rose from the dead, and now Christ is in us. We're going to partake of it together, so just hold that. Take the little top off or kind of begin to start it because sometimes it can be a little tricky. But we're going to partake of it together. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, he took the cup, the bread, and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. You do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this and drink this, you do it until I come again. Church, I don't know what idols you have in your life, but it's my prayer that you would confess those idols. You confess those things that stand before you and God. And you would say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Transform me. Be the most important person in my life. At Coastal, we look back on what Christ has done on the cross. We look inwards to make sure there's no sin in our life. And we look forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. I did this with the worship team in the back before the service. We partook of the, Lord, the Lord's Supper. Where we got to feast on Christ. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now, he wasn't talking about cannibalism, but what he's saying is that I have to be in you. I have to change you and transform you from the inside out. So take the bread this morning and, and, and partake of it with me and recognize that Jesus Christ is in you. The hope of glory, the spirit of Christ is in you, Romans 8, 9. So Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is my blood spilled for you. For the remission and forgiveness of sins. 
If you've confessed your sins, know that it was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that atoned for our sins. And as we partake of the blood of Jesus, it tastes like grape juice, it's grape juice. Know that it is his dying work in our lives that brings us life. Let's partake of the cup together. We do this, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus until you come again. Lord Jesus, your word says we celebrate this. We celebrate you, Father. In the midst of your death, it was your body and your death that brought us life. It was our ungodliness that put you on the cross. It was our sin. It was our idols. But Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins to take our place so that we wouldn't have to die on the cross, Lord God. And we, by faith, receive you into our lives, Lord God, knowing that you have changed us and transformed us and you're working to make all things new in our life. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for your glorious resurrection. Thank you, Lord God, that you make all things new. Help us to walk out of here forgiven, new. Our idols in the trash. Our sin forgotten and done with. And help us to walk in new life. Lord God, we know that our sin will be waiting for us at the door, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus. That as we are in small group and in community together, Lord God, that we would confess our faults one to another, pray for one another, we would be healed, Lord God. That we wouldn't go back. And when we do, Lord God, I pray, Father God, that you would be there to forgive us, to help us, and to walk with us, Lord God. Lord God, because we know that it's only the first hundred years of life that are hard, Lord God, because after that we have eternity. We love you and we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.